So this is the main road of the development, would be on my right hand side here. And again, really thick, very dense woodland, 20-30 metres through. There's no way you'll see anything there. Last week I went for a drive around a proposed solar farm in County Kildare. It's a 275-acre site, and 110 of those would be covered with solar panels if it goes ahead. I can't see through that at all. It's already almost entirely hidden from the road by pretty dense woodland, and where there are gaps in the hedge, the company says that they will screen them with more planting. Right the way through the woodlands. Okay, there's one little five-metre gap. Slightly thinner. I wanted to count the number of houses that would overlook or be right beside the solar panels if they are installed. The people for whom there would actually be a real loss of visual amenity. Another view down over the same proposed development with five houses overlooking it. Yeah, there will be a loss of visual amenity for them. I was trying to reconcile something in my head. I had examined the planning file for this proposed development and there were 124 objections or submissions on the solar farm, one of them in support. By far the biggest complaint was loss of visual amenity. 76 such complaints. One, two, three, four, five, six, eleven houses that will clearly be visually impacted. But by my count, after walking the land, driving the roads, looking at the maps, there were only 12 houses that would be stuck looking at the solar panels forever, and another 16 that might see them until promised planting matures. All of these people have fair grounds for objecting, but why would nearly 50 others write to the council to say that something that they might never see will be visually intrusive to them? The other big picture thing that I've been trying to reconcile here is how this kind of local opposition fits with all of the polls that tell us that we are amongst the most climate literate, the most supportive of climate action of any country anywhere in the world. Could it be that we're lying to ourselves? That we don't want to make those changes? Could it be that we are the real obstacle to climate action? I'm Philip Boucher-Hayes. This is Hot Mess, measuring the gap between climate ambition and climate action. Episode 11. It's not you, it's me. Three weeks ago, the Department of Transport published a poll that suggested 71% would support the building of more cycleways, even if it meant less room for cars. The Wind Energy Association ran its own poll, which they said showed 79% public support for wind energy. The EPA also recently published a survey conducted by an esteemed American academic that showed, in his opinion, overwhelming public support for the climate action job ahead. Which brings me to Ireland. So we had this wonderful opportunity to work together to do uh, the first uh, nationally representative survey. This is a survey of 4,000 uh, uh, Irish residents across the country. A sample of 4,000 is as representative as opinion polls get. What would it show? Would it perhaps provide an explanation for all of that 
I support climate action, but just not this climate action that I had seen in County Kildare. In short, no, it didn't. Public support for and participation in climate action is going to be critical to achieving Ireland's national climate goals and, frankly, global climate goals. And oh, to be Irish. Okay? From an American perspective, I'm jealous at how far advanced your conversation is. When you listen to what we had said to his team, I was left with the impression that if Irish people were running the world, we'd have reversed global warming by the weekend. Do you think climate change is happening? 96% of the Irish public says yes. I'm celebrating in America because we just hit our all-time record high at 70. How worried are you about climate change? Only 5% say they're not. When do you think climate change will start to harm people in Ireland? You basically have about half of people who say it's already happened. Do you think climate change should be a high, a very high, high, medium, or low priority for the government of Ireland? Overwhelming support for saying that this is something that the government should be prioritizing. Very strong support for a variety of government actions. So how do we explain this disconnect between what we say to Dr. Anthony Lizerowitz of Yale University and what we do when faced with climate action taking place in our backyards? Are we an awful pack of liars who will tell the people from the EPA what we think they want to hear? There's a man that I call in these situations to explain public opinion when it gets naughty. I'm well, I'm well. Um, seems to have gotten quite busy all of a sudden. Um, in case you were wondering, is this call about Philip trying to hit me up to piggyback on one of our surveys? Yes, of course it is, Jared. <laughs> As long as they are interesting questions. <laughs> Jared O'Neill runs Amoric Consulting and will, if presented with really naughty questions about public opinion, allow me to slip some questions into his routine surveys. Yeah, we've looked at that. Um, and yeah, there is definitely that kind of contradiction, as you said, between the aspiration at the macro level and the resistance at the micro level. And... Um, that's not a, doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So we worked out how to frame questions that didn't ask people if they supported the laudable aspirations of Irish climate policy, but just asked them a lot more boldly what they would and wouldn't put up with in their backyards. The results when they came back a few days later told a very different story to the Oh to be Irish poll. We asked people, would they support a city centre congestion charge of €10 Euro per day per car in all major Irish cities to reduce car emissions? Now, €10 Euro might sound steep, but in London, it's going up to £15 sterling. And Londoners love it. It has taken 70,000 cars a day out of the city centre, increased journey speeds by 30%, reduced emissions. There wasn't many takers here, though. 30% of the adult population said yes, they were in favour. But when you got to Dublin, it was just one in four Dubliners were in favour of congestion charges, the most likely place to start with them. And sure enough, um, as you go further away from the urban areas, Connacht, Ulster, all in favour of congestion charges, uh, almost uh, more in favour of congestion charges and wind farms. Question five, will you read it there and just give me your summary of the answers? The question we asked was, if you have two or more cars in your household, will you sell one of the cars and not replace it in the next 12 months? So fairly soon. 
This is a real-world proposition in a number of European cities where it's being piloted. The thinking is you can't build cycleways and bus lanes while there are still so many cars parked out on streets, so you incentivize people to get rid of them. But only 5% of respondents here had any time for this idea. 5% is relatively low uh, compared to some of the other measures we have uh, tracked. But I think we need to also recognise that what are the motives behind this intention to sell a second car? Not all of it is driven by a desire to reduce carbon emissions or people's carbon footprints. Some of it is just economics. We also asked, would you support a wind farm being built three kilometres from your home? The near 80% support the Irish Wind Energy Association says that it got for wind turbines in its poll dips very quickly when the question is framed this way, particularly with women for some reason. Men are much more likely to be supportive of of, uh, a wind farm close to their home. Women less so, uh, significantly. So 7 out of 10 men in favour. Only 5 out of 10 women in favour. That's a very big divide. There's a bit of a divide by age, but the gender divide is the most significant divide. The problem with this question was, though, for Dubliners, for people living in Cork or Galway or any of the major urban centres, it's not a real-life question where they actually have skin in the game, is it? Because there isn't going to be a wind farm built in the centre of Dublin or Cork. That is one of the realities that we now have to recognise, is that if people feel there are no consequences for them directly as a result of an initiative or a policy, they're probably going to be supporting it if they feel it's a worthy initiative. But if they think it's going to directly impact them, they're much more cautious, more conservative, maybe even more likely to reject the proposition. Across all of the questions we found that when you turn it from a generalised statement of support for climate action in principle to a commitment on what are you going to do, support wanes quickly. Government only has a maximum of five years to do what it wants to do. It can't make every change. So, of course, it is politically prudent to pick the fights that you think that you can win. And they conduct polls like this all the time to see what level of support exists for the jobs that need to be done. So I thought it would be interesting to find out how popular something has to be before your average Irish politician will champion it. Are you out of government now? Is it 11 years? 11 years, yeah. Look, I, I call myself a recovering politician. Does it take that long? Does I, it think, it? I don't think you ever recover. A decade it's an ongoing more. process. Mary Harney was Minister for Enterprise for seven years, Minister for Health for seven years, and Taunashta for nine years. So she knows a bit about what ideas will and won't fly around the Cabinet table. Well, you can't have too many battles going at the one time. You've got to prioritise what it is you want to do. And change is always incremental. You can't do a lot of change in any one period in government. So you have to decide what initiatives do we do now. And in particular, I think you have to show people a road plan or a road map of where, you know, if it's this decision today in three years' time, it's this plus, etc., etc. I think you, you have to show people the route that you're asking them to take and you have to give them time to take that route. I think in relation to the climate challenge, although everybody understands there's, a, there's an issue, I'm not so certain people understand the immediacy of it. And I think a huge body of work needs to be done. 
So if she was still in government, would she bother with any of the policy initiatives that we polled Irish people on? Look at this question here. If you have two more cars in your house, will you sell one of the cars and not replace in the next 12 months? So if you go down gender, is this the percentage that would... Yeah, yeah well, the, the overall percentage is 5% of people that will contemplate giving up a second car. Are you sure that you're, you're reading that right? Yeah, it's not 5% no, no. the other way around. No, 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 absolutely. Look at the if question. you have two more cars in your house... Will, will you, you sell? Um, will you give up one of those cars? I, I, I would say that that policy is very much in its infancy at the moment because an initiative where you have such a low level of public support and probably public, public understanding, government would probably mm. be in a hiding to nothing. Well, absolutely. But does that just really become too tough and nut? to even begin it, cracking. Yes, in the short term, yes. So you have to allow the national debate to take place elsewhere. You can't, as a government, push something like that on, can you? No, you, well, you, well, you can't bring in an initiative that surprises people, that they've no ideas coming down the tracks. And I don't think we're at a level of debate in Ireland where people feel that the second car is vulnerable. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, okay, so, but, so that is a radical policy for an awful lot of people. Question three, do you want to read it there? Would you support a city centre congestion charge of €10 Euro per day? And I see the level of support there is quite low as well, but I think it's to do with the perception of where will I park, how can I get into the city? Is is 30% support a figure that would suggest to you, well, that's something that we can build on, or is it still too far outside the window? No, I think that's something you can build on, and we need to hugely inform the public as to why these policies are necessary, rather than the general view is that sometimes government imposes policy that's a nuisance on the citizen rather than necessity. But what's interesting for me here is 30% is inside the window of something that you think you can make a start on, but 5%, forget about it, not in the lifetime of this government. I think 30% is definitely doable in the short term. I think 5% is further away trying to get acceptance for selling the second car is certainly much further away than a congestion charge. What was the least popular policy that you ever thought that was worth pursuing, that you pushed all the way? Well, I would say banning coal in Dublin. If you're under 40, this probably won't mean a lot to you, but it is possibly the single most impactful environmental policy of any Irish government in the last 50 years. By the late 1980s, Dublin's skies were often so dirty that visibility could be reduced to as little as 40 or 50 metres at times. Under the influence of a high-pressure weather system, and this is trapping the smog, which is now affecting many towns and cities. The evidence about the impact on people's health was clear but the fossil fuel industry and the unions pushed back against any regulation of smoky fuels. There is a major employment problem involved. There are four brigade factories in Bordenamona. And there was enormous public resistance to any changes because of the cost implications. We are objecting to it is the cost to the tenants and the householders. But Mary Harney succeeded in getting Taoiseach Charlie Hawhey's backing for a ban. And within a very short space of time, a universally hated policy became, by near unanimous agreement, the best idea ever. We knew that people were dying, and we knew the cause of those deaths was the smog, and we knew the cause of smog was the burning of bituminous coal. Back in 1989, when she introduced the ban on smoky coal, 
There hadn't been any opinion polling done, but it was, as I say, a nearly universally reviled idea. So I tried to explore with her what would have happened had they done polling and had they shown as little support as there was in our poll for, say, congestion charges or one-car households. You don't need everybody inside and you don't need, need a majority, but you need a critical mass of people. What's the critical mass? I know some people have this uh, 20-80 rule where, where 20% lead, 80% will inevitably end up following. Does that sound I'd say a little 20 too... to 30%. I think if you're under 20 to 30%, an initiative becomes very difficult to implement, particularly if it requires any sacrifice on behalf of those households or individuals, such as getting rid of your second car or paying a 10 euro congestion charge, anything that impacts directly on you if you don't have a critical mass of support can be challenging. What if you had seen polling on smoky coal back then and it had been, because I tell you, I bet you there would have been really, really high resistance. What if it had been 10%? Would you still have gone ahead with it? I think I would have gone ahead with it if it was anywhere 20 to 30%. but where you almost went there was if it had been as low as 10%. Okay. If, if you had known, you might have said, I'll, I'll, I'll go and pick another fight. No, I'm not so sure. I think I was so determined as first-time minister, I suppose, to make things happen. And the smog was the clear defining issue in Dublin. I mean, it was just such an issue every winter. I know what she said, but I have to tell you that briefly, the look on her face suggested to me that if the government of the day had known that support was as low as 5 or 10%, it just might not have happened. Imagine that, an environmental policy that has saved countless lives, improved the health of hundreds of thousands and transformed the capital city, could have been left on the shelf because it was unpopular. Just perhaps as unpopular as some of the climate actions that the scientists are telling us we need to take now. So after the break... How ready are we for something really unpopular? The survey questions I got Gerard O'Neill to pose certainly showed that we are not as progressive on climate as we tell ourselves. But there was something nuanced in it that needs to be explored a little bit more. The first question that I asked of the thousand people whose views were sampled was Would you support the construction of a wind farm within three kilometres of your home? No softening up introductory question, no lead-in hinting at what the pollster wants to hear, just a straightforward, what are your thoughts about somebody plonking a 260-metre-high wind turbine outside your living room window? And the results were overwhelmingly positive. Six in ten adults throughout Ireland said, yes, they would support the construction of a wind farm so close to their home. There were a few other differences, however. We found that people in urban areas, like Dublin, were quite okay with the prospect of a wind farm within three kilometres. But as you move into more rural areas like Connacht, Ulster, they were much more likely to reject them. Nevertheless, six out of ten is a huge level of support. These were figures that weren't too far off the very rosy survey produced by the Wind Energy Lobby Association. Why would we accept such a huge physical imposition as a wind turbine, but reverse our support completely for something like congestion charging? Could it be, perhaps, that we have been having the conversation around wind energy at a national level for well over a decade, but congestion charging is still something almost entirely novel? And if it was explained, we'd feel very differently about it. I think it's far too early to be pessimistic and argue that Irish people are unwilling 
to make the changes that need to be made in order to help tackle climate change. Pete Lunn runs the Behavioural Analysis Unit at the ESRI. They've taken a less confrontational approach to asking the same kind of questions that I did. And the reason I think that is because right now you can survey them about certain things and say, are you willing to give up meat? Do you think the national herd should be reduced? Do you think a carbon tax should be increased? And you'll find a lot of anti-responses. You'll find people saying no. But what we find is that if people engage with those issues more strongly and they engage with, uh, we, we see how accurate their perceptions are, how well they understand it, we improve their understanding and provide them with even quite small amounts of information, we find their opinions change really quite quickly. That's really interesting to me because it suggests, well, number one, it suggests we in media aren't doing our job properly in explaining this crisis to people. But what you're saying to me is that if you ask somebody for their opinion, and it's a straightforward yes or no, you will be met with resistance. But if you explain this to them and take them by the hand through the information, that they tend to be a little bit more open to the changes necessary? Our evidence suggests that once you start that engagement process, as people's understanding improves and as their engagement improves, it's not just about explaining, it's about getting them to interact with the issues. Once you start doing that, our evidence suggests that their attitudes and opinions about what is acceptable policy, about what they're willing to change in their own lives, starts to change. As a concrete example, he says that once people taking his survey had the benefits of carbon taxation explained to them, they wanted to see carbon taxes go up. I think our studies actually put some of the most challenging things to people, and one of them I would use as an example is the carbon tax. I mean, you are literally saying to people, should a tax go up? It is hardly ever the case, if you ask the population, should a tax go up, that they will say yes. What we found was that just getting people to engage with the climate change quiz for 10 minutes, where we gave some people the answers and some people we didn't give the answers to, so the ones who got the answers, their comprehension improved in that engagement process, we found those people, just in 10 minutes of improving their knowledge, the majority of them then actually wanted the carbon tax to be increased after they'd gone through that process. Right? So there is a, it, that's a challenging policy that is generally viewed to be unpopular, where when we increase people's engagement and comprehension, they actually on average wanted it to be increased. Let that one sink in for a moment, and then take a step back from everything that we've heard and put it all together. I think it shows three things. Irish people are, by comparison with others, very well informed and well disposed to do something about climate change. Though a lot of that willingness to change disappears when we're asked to make a personal sacrifice that we think not everyone else is going to make. But on the upside, when the long-term benefits of an idea are clearly explained to us, the vast majority get on board. So why don't we put this to the test? In a first ever, let us put an unfamiliar climate action policy idea out there and over the course of a year, see whether it floats or sinks. Ce vélo pourrait être un danger, tout comme ce taxi. France has just introduced a new law requiring all car ads on TV, radio and print to carry a message about the benefits of walking or cycling. What if we did the same thing? What if we started restricting ads because it could be shown that car ads were increasingly becoming something akin to smoking, gambling or alcohol? That sounds a bit out there right now. I'll give you the evidence behind the argument on the next hot mess. Restricting advertising 
obviously reduces people's exposure to messages inciting them to buy by appealing to comfort, convenience, status, or economy savings. Would we be open to the idea of curbing the influence of the motor industry on our lives, or will it rebound and would it be seen as nanny statism? So on the next programme, what will happen if I put the idea to RTE? Are we ready to start a journey towards thinking about driving as a societal harm? I found the, the results quite fascinating for this question. We may not like solar farms when they look like they're going to pop up in our neighbourhood. We may be very resistant to limits on our freedom to use our cars when and where we like. But as behavioural analyst Pete Lunn believes the research shows, we are open to the persuasion of evidence-based leadership. There is a real challenge in how far ahead of public opinion to get with climate change. Our evidence and other evidence that we would see around the world suggests you can get a good distance ahead. So it would be a mistake for politicians to think that what they should do is look at public opinion and that somehow they have to be slave to it. Of course there's a judgement to be made about how far ahead of the public opinion you can get, but the evidence would suggest you can certainly get some way and there's an opportunity for leadership. The next hot mess will be a part two to this programme. How will RTE respond to the idea of restricting car ads? And given what the latest science says about the deterioration of the climate and the failure of our policies so far to address it, what more does the government think that it can ask of us to do about it? Thank you.